Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Ryan Ireland from craftquest.io. And Ryan is the man that always has his go bag ready to go. And we have a special guest on today. We have Sean Swix Wang. How are you doing, Sean? Doing well. Glad to be back. And you are the head of dev experience at Airbyte HQ. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. The HQ is just a because we couldn't get the clean Airbyte domain. Oh, OK. So that's like the .NET of the Twitter world, right? Yeah. When you can't get yeah. the thing you actually want, you get the. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we, we have you on because I, I want to talk about uh, a topic that I find very interesting which is the role of a DevRel. So if you were out at the night markets in Managua, Nicaragua, and you were, you were shopping around, you were purchasing some uh, bandanas, you know, buying a, a leather wallet, that kind of thing, and you feel a hand slide into your pocket and you pat your leg and you notice that your wallet is gone, you turn around and there's a guy standing there with a little knife and your wallet in his hand and he says, I'll give you your wallet back if you tell me what a DevRel is, what would you say to him? <laughs> Gotta be quick, are you gonna get stabbed or he's gonna run off? Marketing for developers. Marketing. Okay. I was actually going to ask you that. I have uh, literally as one of my questions, uh, a little primer (laughs) that I have down here is that is DevRel just marketing for developers? Are you constructing emails to send to developers? Is that one of the things that you do? You're literally trying to market to them? That's the thing. Developers don't like to be marketed to using the traditional techniques. So you kind of need a completely different set of skills and to be quite honest, backgrounds in order to, to be effective in this field. In a way that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing because there is a place to market to developers. I have worked with plenty of really good marketers who are worth their weight in gold doing things I could never possibly do. But there's also a reason why DevRel has arisen, which is because the bottom-up approach of hiring developers to talk to other developers has been so effective. And on a personal note, I think for anyone who wants to build a career doing content for other people and potentially for yourself in future, I think DevRel is uh, is a really good career to be in. Now, when you say marketing to developers, you're, you're not talking about personal hygiene products like manscaping or, or that type of stuff. You're talking about something that your company offers that you want that developer to then take advantage of, right? I mean, typically a DevRel role, well, what kind of, what kind of company would a DevRel be needed in, first of all? Surprising number of companies. So I got into DevRel at Netlify, which is a web hosting company. Doesn't really specifically have much in the way of an SDK. It just has a CLI, just has a build system, and you can use whatever framework you want. So I was the React guy for Nellify and that was a majority of where people started to know me from because uh, I think that went really well and I grew a lot with Nellify. AWS has developer relations and I was I was there after Nellify because they want to they have an audience beyond just DevOps type people specifically at always Amplify where I worked you know we're specifically targeting the JavaScript developer so you want to focus on frameworks you want to focus on languages you want to teach them how to use your tools and you want to tell them why they should use your tools instead of choosing some other tool 
or building their own. The interesting thing about developers as an audience, as compared to any other audience, is they have the unique capability that they could build you. Sometimes、mm. in a weekend, probably not in a weekend, but they could build you theor- theoretically. So part of your job is competing against DIY, is what I call it, is telling people why you should not, for example, roll your own crypto, roll your own email system, roll your own auth. L- the list goes on. Of course, you could. And of course, you would have a greater degree of control. Everyone worries about vendor lock-in, but at some point, you want to leave some parts of the job to professionals so that you can go on and do other parts of the job which you actually wanted to do. So I think part of developer relations is getting that message across in a in a compelling way, but leaving people with something useful that they can take with them, whether or not they choose your tool, which is something I do like to to do a lot of, which is whether or not you pick my tool, you pick a competitor tool, doesn't matter. You listen to anything I say, read anything I write, you'll come away with a deeper appreciation of the. Problem because solutions come and go, but problems remain. Now I've heard the term developer relations or DevRel. I also hear developer advocate. And、yep. back in the day, I used to hear developer liaison. Are these all really just? Different words for the same roles. Are they all very similar, or are there subtle differences between these things? There's nominally subtle differences, but in practice, I feel like they're probably the same. It's very much a fatty type of hype-driven cycle of words. I would <laughs> say probably developer liaison or developer evangelist was the kind of first generation of this right. Guy movement. Guy Kawasaki, chief evangelist of Apple. What a title! He would not be focused on developers as much, so I wouldn't consider him a developer advocate. I would consider him a general technology advocate. He was、um, though. Like I, I actually, in、okay. a former life, I actually liaisoned with Guy Kawasaki a long, long time ago, and, and initially he was kind of doing that. So I've never seen his work. So I, you know, I know of him. I don't. I've never interacted with him. So that would be useful. They're all kind of terms for the same thing. I, I feel like this could be personal bias. I feel like people like using the term developer. Advocate because they like saying developer avocado and they like putting the little avocado emoji on their profile. Yeah, I'm not such a fan of that.、Um, <laughs> so that movement was started by Sarah Vieira, and it's a cutesy name for a job. But I I think there's a large contingent of people who are not fans of infantilizing tech, um, making it childish or whatever. Like this is a serious job that people do, and, and I think a lot of DevRel is very insular, very navel gazy, very much. Oh, look at how awesome I am, and look at me and my buddies traveling around conferences, and it feels very out of touch compared to the developers that you're supposed to relate to, who do not have that kind of life and do not have that luxury of printing little stickers and passing them around, and that is a job somehow.、Uh, oh my <laughs> I god! So, I mean, so, I didn't I, realize I, that there's a a Subculture around that already.、Um, oh God!、Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, yeah, there it's, is. It's、yeah. it's amazing. So I have two minds on that, and you're you're striking a chord with me because I do see people that are kind of professional conference speakers,、yeah. and a lot of the time they are people that are good presenters, and they have a you know solid presentation lined up, but they're never someone that I would hire to do the thing. You know what I mean? They're they're good communicators, and that's not to downplay what they do because I also know lots of programmers that are terrible communicators, and I would. <laughs> Never have them speak anywhere. On the other side of the coin, I look at it from the perspective that you know they got to promote themselves. They got to do whatever it takes to bolster themselves up, to promote themselves, to give themselves a bigger audience, so that some company might decide to come in and hire them on. That seems very、yeah. influencer-like. You know, it is rather than influencer. Yeah, rather than the, like the nuts and bolts of. Of effectively communicating the advantages of a technology or a stack or a tool, but it, it sounds like Sean, you're saying that you would be adverse to switching your job title to tech influencer <laughs> and putting a couple of avocado emojis and stuff like that on your profile. You would be adverse yeah, to that. That I would never do that. I'll never be caught there doing that. <laughs> 
So let me lay out a few ground rules or ground things. It's possible to be an influencer without being an advocate. It's just that the advocate life is abnormally suited for influencers. Hmm. Uh, it's very tempting if you're already doing something on the side to do something full time hmm. and and get uh, essentially carte blanche to just do whatever you feel like doing. And that is pretty much the state of developer relations in most companies today. And it's a powerful, heady job. It's also not real, not a real job. It's not a real career. <laughs> it's kind of a bullshit job. We, we're we're you know, and and this is coming from someone in it. I've been doing this for five years, and so we're trying to make it more of a job. You know, we're trying to create career ladders, career progression. We have a seat at the table, and that's partially the evolution of develop, developer eventually to developer relations, to developer experience. And I can talk a bit more about that. But we're still figuring it out. It's very early days. The core baseline value proposition is marketing. There's some people who do it better than others. Is it a necessary thing that you must either be good at coding or good at speaking? There are definitely people who are good at both. There are very few of them in the world. <laughs> so <laughs> everyone wants them. And sometimes you leap, take a leap of faith and it doesn't work out. It's a very messy field. and I don't judge anyone for, for trying. So I'll just say that that is the state of things, which is is very new field. And we're trying to, and content creation is hard in any format. And content creation for Developers, when you have to, a number of things that you have to keep up with anyway, is, is also really hard and niche. You mentioned content creation. I was, I was going to ask, what are your vehicles you have for communicating with developers in developer relations? I know in marketing, like traditional marketing, right? They're, they have the levers that they can pull with email and text messaging and all the different messaging platforms and styles. What's What are the, the levers that DevRel pulls to connect to developers in a way that speaks to, to them and what they need? I think you can think about it in two big pockets, which is essentially owned channels and borrowed channels, like the channels that you borrow from other people, including conference speaking including Twitter, including YouTube. And then own channels that you own are your blog, your newsletter, that kind of stuff. And you do have to have some kind of balance between borrowed channels, which is where more people are likely to be, and own channels, which is where you sort of control your own destiny and, and speak to a, a more engaged audience, which are more likely to actually pay you money, which is another fun fact, by the way. Most developer advocates have never paid for their own company product. Um, <laughs> so they have no empathy whatsoever for the paying customer experience because they, they all you do is sell the free tier all the time. That may actually be doing a disservice to the, the employer company, but that's a separate conversation. So yeah, I mean, I, I think those are, in my mind, the two categories. The job used to involve a lot of travel. People would typically be proud of saying things like, I went to 37 countries in, in a year. That has very much fallen out of favor, partially because of COVID, partially because of environmental concerns. The way that I think it makes sense for me now is, is something I quote a lot from Lee Robinson, who is he's in my job at Vercel. He calls it developer, developer relations is now hyper-local or hyper-global. So you only do online meetups and you try to make them as big and scalable as possible, or you do in-person meetups and you try to make them very intimate and high, high touch. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, the other thing about going to 37 countries in a year is that to someone from the outside, that may sound amazing. Oh my God, you get to see the world. <laughs> it actually sucks, man. You spend so much time just in airports and buses yeah. and waiting yeah. and hotel rooms like that. That's not a fun life, to be honest with you. At least yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. And you think you can expense a bunch of stuff, which you can, yeah. but also... It actually has a financial personal burden because if that's stuff that you don't expense, you actually end up spending more of because you don't have your regular stuff with you in your house. So I tried going nomad for about four months while I was in Netlify. It's just bouncing from conference to conference. And uh, ultimately, I just decided it wasn't for me. I don't think it's for most people. Well, it's brutal. And I, I know people both in the tech field and in other fields that they travel for a living. I actually have a good friend of mine that said I, I use... <laughs> 
He said, I used to like people until I started traveling for a living. And now he's just, he's a grumpy old man. Like he just get out of my way. Cause you know, yeah. he's always hustling from one place to another. But all right, I got a scenario for you. You've spoken with me a few times. You know, I can put a couple sentences together. You want to hire me to be a DevRel at Airbyte. What the hell am I actually going to be doing? Like what would my day-to-day job consist of producing or doing? What would I do? It's going to vary for different companies. So for Airbyte, it's focused on data engineers. And it has a mix of people who are very, let's say, high code versus low code, right? Some startups are very much focused on developers and they want people who can code a lot. And some other startups are very much conceptual explainers because essentially their whole value proposition of their product is that we remove a lot of coding requirements from you. Everybody's like that. Uh, There's the primary interface that you're going to interact with is a UI. You can configure stuff through YAML files, but most people are just going to configure it through a UI. So really it's about selling the conceptual reasons why you might need it and plugging in with the rest of the tooling in the, in the ecosystem. So the day-to-day for the people that work on our team is planning content, you know, drafting content and then uh, getting it out there, being embedded within the specific communities that they're assigned to slash picked. So there, for example, the the large community in, in data engineering is DBT. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with them. So I have a person assigned to just watch the DBT Slack and report on that, interact with them, engage with them. I have, I'm have i the person primarily responsible for the Airbyte Twitter. I have another person who's responsible for the Airbyte LinkedIn. And we just kind of divvy things up in that way, try to create content that's relevant and keeps us in mind when people are making technology choices. Let's keep people informed of new features and new product launches, and then creates examples and tutorials with other tools in our ecosystem so we show that we can play well together. Does that give a, a rough image? I, don't, I mean, I could give you like a rough like percentage thing, right. but well, I, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> I think one of the things that you said it, that is key is that it probably depends on the company. So yes. for one company, your primary job as a DevRel might be making YouTube videos. Yep. And for that, you know, you might want to hire someone that looks attractive on screen, is a good communicator, and knows enough about the product to convey what you need to convey because you're producing a nice, should be aesthetically and presentationally good video. On the other hand, if your DevRel role is more involved in writing code samples that need to show how to integrate with uh, particular services that you offer or whatever, you don't care. The person can be an ugly mug like me and they can be (laughs) writing that and doing their DevRel stuff all day, right? Yeah, I think you want to adapt the playbook to the company. So I'll give you more dimensions, right? Is the company selling an open source product? Because if you are, then you have essentially two audiences. One, the open source users, and then two, the paid version, whatever the paid version is. And then are you selling to sort of top-down sort of CTO types or are you selling bottom-up to individual developers and uh, you know how you're focusing between those so yeah for, for what it's worth uh, at airbyte we also think about a mix between seo versus thought leading content or viral content whatever that is there, there's a distinction in marketing circles around content that you find only when you're searching for stuff like how do I X or X versus Y? You find our stuff, you read about us and you adopt us. And then there's other stuff where you weren't really searching for it, but it just gives you such insight into your job that you find it useful. It spreads through word of mouth. And so that is a very different mode of content creation than I'm used to. I have never done anything with SEO in mind. I've only focused on the sort of insights and thought leading or whatever you call it. And I think SEO is kind of an underrated skill among developers because we don't like to think of ourselves as normies in any any shape or form, right? Like we want to do everything different, right? We're, we're better than, <laughs> than the non-technical people, right? Because we're technical. So why would we do anything the same? It's obviously not true, but I think there's, there's, a, there's a certain art that is to be found in just serving the needs of Google very well. 
But do you work in in a silo though, or are you plugged into the traditional marketing team in terms of just make sure you're all aiming at the same place? Right now I run a parallel org to the marketing team. So we have weekly syncs and stuff, Mm -hmm. but we decide what we do and they decide what they do. And we don't really talk on that. And I think mostly that's just a question of, we just have the resources to try a bunch of things and whatever works, works, you know, we don't actually have to coordinate that tightly. So why, you know, we don't, we're not forcing it. And to your point about it being marketing, there are very different kinds of marketing too. So if you're talking about marketing for people that are searching for a particular tool that does a particular thing, that's one thing, a blog post with very targeted keywords, that's going to make sense. If you want to do marketing just to kind of make Netlify seem like a cool place where all the cool developers are, then you want to produce a goofy video that has it maybe has jokes or has someone leading the ideal lifestyle that every developer wants to lead. And that would be sort of a, a branding DevRel marketing kind of thing. Dev- right? Branding play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, I don't know if you know, but Netlify actually produced that exact video. Uh, I think it's called the Two Worlds video. That's um, hilarious, but it, it makes sense to me. <laughs> it makes total sense to me. It, to me, it's a so the 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 people that did that really well were Webflow, where mm. they don't even show you Webflow, but they show you what your life is with Webflow. Mm-hmm. There you and go. it's meant to be funny. It's meant to be uh, engaging and highly produced. And yeah, I mean, hey, these things work for traditional product companies. You know, if they're selling you, I don't know, like baby wipes or a car or whatever. Nike, like, why Nike not? is a perfect Nike, example. Nike exactly. in yeah. all of their ads, they don't tell you about their shoes or how the soles are awesome or how, how they're cushioned. They sell the lifestyle. Right. So that is the topic of conversation and debate. How much of that path should we adopt? Because developers are aware of all that. At the same time, you need to tell me how to do my job, right? Like yeah. you need to tell me like <laughs> what what it is you do here. Because it, we've all seen way too many websites and marketing landing pages that have all these buzzwords. They're like, you're so much more productive. You're so much happier. And you have no idea what they do. And so we need to thread that needle or just prove our technical chops and then lead with the rest of the, the other stuff. So I have a thread on this on basically everything you learn in traditional marketing, you have to invert in developer marketing. And my personal pride is the CEO of GitHub actually said internally within GitHub that he agreed with it. So um, that, that got back to me and I was, I was very happy with that. Nice. Gold star for you, sir. Um, <laughs> I know. So we've been talking about DevRel from the point of view of it being marketing. And I understand fully that in many capacities, probably the DevRel role really is either under marketing or it's seen as marketing in in one form or another. But I want to talk about, and obviously marketing has value to the company that you work for because you're going to be getting developers on board. And it sounds like any tech company that has some kind of an ecosystem could benefit from having some form of DevRel. But I want to talk about whether there are other aspects of DevRel that would benefit the company. So for instance, would it be considered the purview of a DevRel or a developer advocate to be in touch with the people that are using the product and to be able to bring the feedback from the developers that are using the product to the company to help the company then make a better product? Yes, it's traditionally considered a purview. No, it's not very well done normally. So Mm. here's where I talk about the the evolution from developer evangelism to developer relations, developer experience. Developer evangelism is me going out there and spreading a good word. So one to many. Developer relations is more of a two-way street. I'm supposed to go out there. I'm in front of developers all day. I should probably bring some of those insights and complaints back to my company. And then finally, developer experience is more holistic look at the developer journey through the product. Because if you only if the only thing you can do is write blog posts, you can't really affect the core of the products and improve it in some concrete fashion. The reason I say developer relations being a two-way street is mostly a lie is because that street is 99% one way and mm. 1% the other way. Because what are you doing? 
wait, really? You're going to all these conferences, you're talking to all these developers, and then you're saying, oh man, no, no, no. there's like 200 different complaints I've collected from all these users. I'm going to come back to the engineering team and go like, guys, you need to stop everything you're doing. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> work on my my complaints that I've collected from my users. How do you think their engineering team will feel about that? <laughs> well, we, we know the way engineering teams work. They're not going to love it. But if you're working on a technical product, whatever that technical product is, that the end consumer of it is going to be a developer in one form or another, how else are you going to be in touch with the faults of your product or the market opportunities for your product? Or, you know, every company has some kind of a roadmap of things that they want to work on. How do you then prioritize those if you don't have some kind of feedback from the people that are actually buying and using your product, unless you use that feedback to inform not what is on the roadmap necessarily, although it could be that, but also the order in which things are done on the roadmap. In other words, if it's just marketers, that are coming up with the, oh, we need feature X, and they're completely out of touch with developers and what they actually need or want, that probably is going to be bad overall for that company, right? Yeah. So this is where I get into the whole conversation about what DevRel really is, because I just said it's marketing for developers, but that's just the original historical origins. But I have a blog post on measuring DevRel, and a friend of mine, Hassan from Vercel, has also written, what is DevRel.com? And he talks, and you know, we, we basically talk about three roles of DevRel. One is marketing and content creation. The second is product management and third is community. And so here is where DevRel becomes shadow PMs, where you're like kind of a backup PM force, uh, you're a sort of auxiliary PM force to the to regular PMs, because the PMs should be the ones prioritizing these things, talking to users and then prioritizing them for the engineering team. The fact that they don't do as much outreach or, or haven't have, have isn't enough contact with users as, a, as part of their job compared to DevRel is a very tricky thing to navigate because by nature, like we're out there every single day talking to people. People. We're, we're more visible. Of course, we're going to talk to more people. But at the same time, we have the least power to actually do anything about it, right? Well, that okay. okay. I mean, yes. Product. So yes, the PM role is supposed to be doing that. I've worked with yes. lots of PMs in my day. <laughs> it's usually not part of what they're doing. They're usually so busy prioritizing things, dealing with the, the needs and wants of the executive team and stakeholders, managing, not necessarily managing the developers directly, but sort of managing the development of that product. That... I don't know. I'm not going to say that PMs are out of touch because that's that's unfair, but they certainly aren't as in touch as a DevRel would be who is out there talking to people that actually use their stuff every day. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a balance, right? Like making anything... If you ask people a bunch of times what they want, they will just tell you that they want a faster horse. The PM kind of represents the internal vision that where we actually want to go. So you have to balance the external pressures and the internal vision and make something out of that. The only thing I'll say to you is there's all these very high intentions, uh, very noble intentions of like, we're a team here. You guys as DevRel, you should be feeding insights back to us. But it only takes a few quarters of your suggestions getting ignored for you mm. to completely stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, to some extent, I think that's unfortunate because you do need to have some kind of input from the developers that are using your product to help shape it. And if it's the PM that's doing it, then that's fine. You know, as long as they are actively out there doing it. I do think that the DevRel role, it sounds like, is perfectly positioned to at least have some kind of a seat at the table to help guide that. And it feels to me like that would be a huge benefit to the company. If their livelihood is based on developers adopting this thing, if you are able to convey to the company, here are the reasons why people are not adopting it, or here are the reasons why people are thinking about ditching it for something else, that seems super valuable to me. That is valuable, and I think it should be shared. So the only thing I will offer to you is, yes, I think everyone agrees that that is the ideal way that this 
stuff should be run. <laughs> the two things that are broken here, one is the formal authority in the reporting structures. If you're not in a product org, you're not going to get listened to as much as if you're in the product org. But I was, I've been at AWS, I've been a developer relations in the product org and I still have been ignored. And the second thing is OKRs, uh, annual reviews. What are you going to measure people on? So if you tell people a bunch of things like, oh, you should, you should be involved in this and that and this and that, and then come annual review, you don't care about any of that. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. Because you just told me that I should care about this. I just went and did a bunch of work. And then at the end of the year, when push comes to shove, every single line of conversation is, or oh, how many views did you get on your blog posts? How many people attended mm. your webinars? Then, you know, if you basically, what I call this is sort of duck typing for jobs. Like if you measure people like a duck, then they are a duck. Yeah. <laughs> well, if the you measure problem... people like marketing, they are marketing, right? What is your metrics for how much of an impact did you have in products? Yeah, know. I mean, essentially you're, you're counting how much food people are eating, but you're getting no input on whether they liked it or not, or whether they had irritable bowel syndrome afterwards, right? I mean, you yes. need to actually go that extra mile and see not only how many people ate this, but what did they like and what did they not like? Yeah. Well, it sounds so, like you, uh, you perfectly encapsulated a, a very Japanese concept of hone and tatame. And so hone what is, is, yeah. the, is kind of what is really going on, like a person's true feelings or what really is going on. And tatame is what you tell people is going on. And yes. it sounds like you're kind of representing that in terms of, yeah, we're supposed to be doing this, but the reality is that's not what ends up happening a lot of the times. Yeah, I'm a fan of real talk just because life is short and I have increasingly less patience for BS. And part of what I love about you is that, I, you know, I, you guys is, is you, you have a sense of real talk that I feel like I, I'm safe to uh, ex express more of it here. But oh, yeah, yeah I, I think it's, it's especially important, particularly when people spin for a living <laughs> and they're not very truthful about what they actually do at work. Yeah, I, I really don't like that. So part, part of me just doesn't care anymore. Why I think my words and writing and messages have resonated so much in DevRel is because I've just straight up chosen to not care that much about it. Yep. Like I'm not making this my lifelong thing. It's my job, yes, right now, but it's a means to an end for me. And that's okay. And like that's, all, that's also pointing out how ridiculous and funny it is while we're doing it. I, I mean, I completely agree because I see some stuff out there. And you know, a lot of the stuff that you'll see like on tech Twitter, you just have to think of it as the equivalent of Instagram pictures that they've been retouched. <laughs> They've been photoshopped. They've been, you know, the camera is up here. They got just the right angle. You see people that if they're tweeting about, you know, the, this shiny object over here, and then the next week it's this oh, other shiny so object. Fake. There's yeah. just no way, like nobody is actually doing that. It's just, it's absolute nonsense. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't want to put down, everyone's trying, like no one knows what works, you know, everyone's trying what they think works. And so... If you bet, I bet if you asked all these people who you think are fake, whether or not they are really like that in real life or whether they strongly believe, like I'm sure they have their own reservations. And a lot of content creation is pushing past your reservations and just trying stuff anyway. I tend to reserve judgment of there's a separation between what, what someone puts out and what they actually truly believe. And you just have to get to know them and, and sort of take the facts presented on the on the merits and try to see if like that is helpful to you or not and if it's not helpful you can move on and mute or block them whatever uh, but if it is if it is helpful then it is helpful in in in, in some sense and that is valuable i'm not saying um, it's entirely yeah. fake because that same person with that instagram picture in just the right light they they really probably do look like that well maybe with a, a filter or two added all i mean is <laughs> that they're not going to be experts at this particular thing if they're just jumping from thing to thing. And it's, you know, there's still value if they're, what they're providing is, hey, this cool thing is out there. Check this out. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
but you yeah. don't become an expert in any kind of development tool in a week or two. Like it just, it doesn't work like that. There's just no way. That's true. So we talked about the value of a DevRel to the company. And at least from my point of view, hopefully in addition to the marketing and getting people on board, it is also helping to shape the product and into something that the developers want. Am I being naive or are there benefits that the DevRel has to the developer in terms of maybe it can help make them a better developer or, or what benefits would the DevRel role potentially convey to the people that you are DevRelling to? Oh, there's so there's two questions, right? One is to the audience or one is to the individual that's doing the job. It sounds like you want, you're focused on the audience. So there's a shortage of people making good how-to content, technical content, and the marketers are not going to do it because none, none of them are technical. So anyone with a helpful blog post that, that gets you past that thing that you've been struggling with for three days, that's, that's great, right? And, and sometimes you have to pay pay for them to do it. Sometimes they do it because it's their job and DevRel, that is the, currently the, the job of DevRel and technical writing. I think that's there's a benefit from that, from, from people getting plentiful examples and demos and, and tutorials and, and all that. I think I think that's super useful. And you can never have enough of those, basically. Like, there may be one too many how to set up react apps from scratch tutorials but everything else there's so there's such a depth of like what we'll call two 201 content you know in sort of the american university grading like 101 is the introductory stuff two ones intermediate 301 you know 401 it's increasingly advanced stuff the further out you go the, the less content there is just to help you along and so in in, a, in the desert you can't really beg <laughs> uh, what, what is it uh beggars can't really be picky choosers uh, I forget what this, the saying is. Yeah, beggars um, can't be choosers. Yeah, people writing that stuff in, incentivized to guide you down the the path of success to to get something up and running. I think there's always going to be demand for that. As far as people doing a job goes, I think DevRel is an ideal mid career job. Why why I say mid career? I don't think you should be your first job. Because you need some empathy for having been a developer in order to relate to other developers. Is your, if your job is literally called developer relations and you've never been a full-time developer, how honestly and realistically I've can you I've seen it do? though. I've seen people yes, that that's what they've it. done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 I will be honest. I haven't been a developer. I, I wasn't. I was software engineer for one year before I became into dev, uh, software uh, developer relations. How useful is that year? There's a there's a sort of decay value in that year anyway. So well, who, that's who really sort cares? of true. You're underselling yourself though, because my understanding is anyway that your former job in finance, uh, yeah. finance you were doing some programming just to make that happen. Yes. So, you you know, you, you got some background. I do have some background. My, my journey is weird. But I'm just saying like, yeah, there are definitely people who right out of college, straight into DevRel, and their their, their job is consecration for, for a job that they, for an audience whose job they've never done. I've seen people go from flight attendant to writing tech blog posts to being a developer advocate at companies. Like literally I have seen exactly that, you know? Yeah, so I, I honestly, I think if you work really hard at it and you have good empathy, that is fine. That is, that works as well. I will I will point out, so uh, we actually do a regular Friday Twitter space. I'm actually going to do one right after this on just like several topics. And we had one yesterday with, uh, last week with Common Room. Common Room is one of these new community startups and they did a DevRel compensation survey. And one of the most interesting questions that they had was, did you have prior software engineering experience? And between those who did and those who had not, the compensation difference was about 50 grand a year. Mm -hmm. So there is, in the job market, there's some valuation on prior experience as a, as a software engineer. I think partially, honestly, because of BATNA, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, because if you didn't get the job as developer relations, then you would just go back to being a software engineer. So you do you do have a like a baseline alternative to go back to. Yeah. <laughs> right? And but I want to be clear, I'm not crapping on people that are going from one career to not another. At all. I mean, uh, my, you know, my 
ed- formal education is in photojournalism, you know, and I've been a developer <laughs> for forever. So I'm not crapping on people that have done that, but it's sort of more to your point of people that sometimes are not entirely forthcoming about what their experience is. And also, depending on the role that they have in DevRel, it may not really matter that exactly. they have an extensive programming background if they're just if supposed the to be runs. producing videos, <laughs> you know, but, but to wouldn't promote it, wouldn't it limit, Sean, you had mentioned sort of like the different tiers of of education material. It's, it's a bit of a deserted island once you get into the more the more depth and technical stuff. My experience in doing training and writing courses and, and all of that is the deeper you go, the smaller your audience Smaller is. the audience. So exactly. there's, there's a ROI sort of like question yes. that you have to answer. Um, I know it, Absolutely. it just depends on what you're doing. But wouldn't someone coming in with not a lot of experience or not any coding experience or had to work at a developer, they're, they're automatically limited to the to the type of material that they can create or how they can communicate to developers then. Like, it seems like there's a, an automatic ceiling there. Look, it's not a hard ceiling. It's a, it's a, it's a breakable ceiling. Okay. There is a ceiling though. I've seen it. I have people on my team right now that I'm trying to get past that ceiling as, as we speak. So yes, there is, there is that ceiling. I will say actually, honestly, the, the ceiling is more of a self limitation. Hmm. It's not like, I'm not going to look at your CV before I look at your video. I'm just going to look at your video and I'll, I'll, I'll figure out whether I like it or not, you know, but your experience, because it's limited, it just means that your ideas are limited and it, they're just not as interesting because probably anything you can think of, I've already, I can already find out for myself or like, it's just like, it's not, it's not interesting to me. You have to have like done the job for a while to really figure out the things that everyone runs into and figure out solutions for that. And, and then you're, then you really come from a death of like, I, yeah, I've dealt with this before. So some people can get there without the experience, right? Sometimes some people are just that brilliant and they have that much empathy or they, they talk to enough people that they can intuit that and patch it together. That's, that's fine. You just have to kind of work out work to make it up. So yeah, I definitely think that there is a, there is a ceiling. It's, it's kind of a permeable ceiling for sure. The other thing I'll point out, which is totally true. If you're a YouTuber, if you're a, if the only thing you care about is numbers, then the rest of your life, you're doing one-on-one level content. Hello to hello world in 10 different languages. There's a guy on, on YouTube, Fireship. That's his life right now. He only does hello world and he has got 1.5 million subscribers. And I bet it's not actually that fulfilling. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure on, it's not. For every, for every library and platform out there, right? Like, yeah. After a while, I, who really cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody, somebody somewhere somebody does. does. That's, that's, somebody that does. is somebody 101 does. and that needs that kickstart for sure. And to your yeah, point yeah. about it being a soft ceiling, technology is so fast moving yeah, that I true. think it really is more about learning because no matter how experienced of a programmer you are, yes, it will help you pick certain things up quicker, but you're always going to have to be spending time learning the new thing, you know, learning whatever new API yes. is coming out, et cetera, et cetera. Is that something but, right? that you look for, Sean, in people that you work with, which is just their, how mature they are as a learner and their capability of learning and gathering information or that's sort of 80% of what I do is figuring out what I don't know and then finding the, the best way to learn that. Look, I, I appreciate it in people, but it's very hard to get in an interview. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> so, makes sense. So you just kind of have to observe it over time and, and you know, hope you luck out. I will say something I do look for is what I call content grind, you know, what others might call grit which is as a professional content creator, it's not the same as doing it on the side. You have to be able to pitch ideas passionately, work on it really hard, and then have it fall flat. And then pick yourself up the next day and carry on. So in a former life, maybe you would have to be have the mentality that you could work on an assembly line, right? And be okay with that. It's it's a little bit of an assembly line for sure. I, I am full of ideas on how to make it not an assembly line. I would really like to make it, because I, I am a believer that we are, you know, I don't know if you know the lion versus zebra analogy, 
where we we hunt when the time is right, when the mood is right, when the environment is right, and then we rest when we're just not feeling it. Where zebras graze all day and at a constant rate, and so we're definitely much more lions than zebras. At the same time, we you know we're being paid to do a job, and we have to try to create on a consistent level. And so the the balance for professional creatives, which is what we are, is that we have to be on the clock and try to uh, perform on some regular basis that the business can actually depend on. That is what we sign up to do, and that's why we that's why we get the the money that we make. And I I think that is a, a challenge for anyone to come through. And so something I really like to see in a in a resume is evidence of people understanding and creating even with some even even when it doesn't do super well and getting past it because then I'll know they'll they'll really stick it through <laughs> through anything even the, even the bad times well let me tell you not only am I a lion but I'm a male lion so I just <laughs> lay there in the sun and let all the lionesses <laughs> do all the work okay I mean you know that's just the way it goes but I wanted to mention something regarding what you said Ryan which is that the in-depth topics they get fewer hits yeah and as much as we are so proud of the knowledge that we have gained by going deep in a particular topic, we have to understand that that is probably going to be valuable to fewer and fewer people, the, the deeper in that knowledge is. And if someone's role is more to produce that surface level content that reaches the widest number of people, they never have to go that deep because it would actually be a bad thing in terms of reaching fewer people. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, if that fulfills you, then more power to you. You should be an independent creator because that is the ultimate setup for you. But what I will say is if, if you're incentivized towards going deep and fully understanding something and shipping full apps that, that people use uh, on a day-to-day basis, that kind of stuff, being working at a company instead of working on your own as an individual creator fully aligns you because the people who go deep are the people who pay you money. And people who are shallow only watch free stuff on YouTube. Mm, yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. <laughs> and that's something that Ryan and I were kind of joking about in the back channel while you were talking about some stuff. Ryan is like, uh, are we unintentionally freelance developer advocates? Because, yes. you know, I produce content in terms of podcasts and blogs and sometimes videos. And Ryan, at least Ryan's smart. At least Ryan has people paying him for Gets his paid. content. <laughs> He's producing it. But it still sort of seems like, you know, his role is uh, very specific in terms of producing content for craft CMS. And it almost seems like kind of what he's doing is sort of a DevRel role in a way, in terms of helping people to, to learn the product and use the product. I mean, my, my scary little secret is, or fear, is that a lot of the, the space that I have for that business is because there isn't actual like serious effort on DevRel on that for that platform, right? It's like, that's what gives me the space there to do that. Which is nice. It's a it's symbiotic in, in that sense, yeah. right, to be honest. Craft as well when you do well. And, and I think right. that's the way they, they prefer to have it. Same thing in Laravel, right? I would, cons- I would consider you a professional content creator rather than developer relations. <laughs> what is shaking your head? <laughs> I think he's arguing about the professional part. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, not professional. Number two, although I do produce content, I definitely oh, I was don't talking see to Ryan. It. <laughs> oh. Well, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, still gonna say, I'm still gonna say the same thing. Not professional. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so like developer relations, there's a lot of stuff that you don't see behind the scenes that is not focused on content creation, right? Like, I, like so I told you about DevRel involving product feedback and how that is misaligned in some way, and we haven't figured that out yet. But there's also community building, right? Mm. Like doing a bit of support sometimes, uh, you know, and and uh, organizing meetups, that kind of stuff. It's not in the typical content creator wheelhouse. We're just content creator adjacent, like we're part-time content creators, or maybe we're like 60%, 70% content creators, but we're not 100% content creators. And the other thing that we do a lot, part of the thing that sometimes what we do 
well, the, the value that we provide the most in terms of DevRel is product launch support, whether, whether or not it's like feedback or like drafting the, the blog post to, to announce a product. Two days ago, one of the, our users of our products had a security breach. That was not really our fault, but it was, an, it was an opportunity to educate people about the security dimension implications of using our products and like, you know, what you should do to lock down your permissions, that kind of stuff. And I worked on that as well. And I was very proud of that, but it's never going to be you know, a thing that, that everyone knows me for, but that's part of what professional developer relations would do that might be different from content creation. You know, what I'm curious about is how you get into DevRel to begin with, because as far as I know, maybe somewhere in some college there are DevRel majors, but no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that there are. I mean, are, you, are they YouTubers that happen to like tech that decide to do it? Are they programmers that hate programming? Are they educators that like tech or, or are they quote unquote super fans that love the product already and, and are already advocating it? And so it's a natural role for them to fill. How does the typical DevRel fall into that role if it's not a mature industry? I'll say a mix of everything you just said. So we have two people who started as YouTubers and, and, and we hired them as developer relations. We have other people who are engineers who liked writing on the side and now in now we hired them to do that 75% of the time. For myself, the way that I got into DevRel was by kind of by accident. I was blogging and writing about Nellify even before I considered myself qualified to work for them. And they, they reached out because I was talking about them publicly. And so th I think it's a good tactic to convert your biggest fans into your developer advocates because then they have some level of authenticness when they when they tell their stories. I do try to, now that I've done it, <laughs> I, I do try to advocate for people who've paid for your products before mm, to right. do the job because it's all well, nice and good to talk about something that's free. People can talk about free shit all day. <laughs> and it doesn't really have any skin in the game with regards to having to advocate for it at work with competitive quotes from other, from other solutions, including building your own, and still coming out and saying and selling other people on it when there's skin in the game, right? When you're not just writing free tweets about it or, or doing a meetup talk about it. So I, I, do, I do think there's a multiple avenues into this job. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, there's, there's lots of paths and I, I, I hope people try it out when, when they feel ready I, and, and with the full awareness that, that it is not a fully fledged out career path. All right, so real talk, Sean, real talk. The guy's <laughs> okay. still got his knife, he's still holding your wallet and he says, Sean, tell me the truth. Did you write all of those blog posts about Netlify, trying to get a job at Netlify. No, I didn't think myself qualified. <laughs> for, for, for anyone who's listening, I'm very good at reading faces. That was a genuine response. That was a genuine <laughs> yeah. But do you think that's a tactic? Because I, I yes. to be clear, I wasn't accusing you of doing that. I was just kind of joking around. But I definitely have seen people that I think they are doing that. You know, I think they, they may not yes. be, you, it may not be a product that they use every day or maybe they use it, but they really want a job at this particular place. So they just start blogging about it or doing videos about it. Is that a thing that you see? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I encourage people to do that. Yeah, it's um, not a bad thing. I don't think I'm not if you authentically it. like a thing, then yeah, the best way to audition for the job is to do the job already. And if they like your work, they'll they'll notice for sure. And they'll, they'll reach out. I actually often think as a career growth tactic, or even if you just want to practice communication skills, it's just a really good idea to do DevRel for other people who are completely not interested in it. Because all you have to do is find good ideas that are not uh, well distributed and tell everyone else about it. Like what you see in this thing that everyone else is not seeing. And that's kind of authentic enthusiasm. I can't get enough of. No, I mean, it, it just always works. So I, I want to tell you a parenthetical story, and I'm not saying I condone this, but I've seen this. First of all, I knew I, I was friends with some girls in college that they had boyfriends, but they would still get all decked out when they would go out to the club and they would talk about it on purpose. They wanted to see 
how many guys they could get come up to them, right? Just for fun. You know, they're just having fun with it. In a similar way, I know somebody, a, I'm not going to mention any names, but he's told me that he has specifically done some content for various platforms just to see how many job offers for would come in. And he wasn't actually necessarily interested in them. Which I think it's kind of terrible, but kind of Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Look, if it strokes your ego, that's great, but yep. you're and taking that's what up it's a lot about. of space. In both cases, it's about ego, right? I mean, that really is what it's about. You're taking a lot of time from other people. I, I don't support that at all. But to your point earlier, though, even if the content that we're creating, even if it is end goal is to sell the particular product, if that is solving someone's problem, like some poor person late at night that's Googling something, even if the blog post that you wrote with the intention of selling the product presents a solution in a way that someone can then get their job done, like problem solved, right? It doesn't, if something is self-serving, that doesn't mean it doesn't benefit others as well, right? Absolutely. There's uh, there's some amount of alignment as, as long, again, like this is, this is what I'm saying. This is what I said about the, the content thing. If you didn't like it, you can move on, uh, decide never to hear from that person again, all totally within your rights. But if the content of the thing is within your, uh, like it just helps you in some way, then no matter the intentions, like as long as it was helpful, it's fine. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> Again, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> if it was helpful to you, then it's great. <laughs> well, let's say that you're a betting man and you had to bet on one side or the other. Do you think that DevRels help companies make better products? Or do you think that DevRels help make better developers? Which one do they influence more? We're, we're cutting the marketing oh. part out entirely. And just what was how, the much, first one again? how much do DevRels help a company make better products? And how much do DevRels help make better developers? Which one would be greater than the other? Right now, I would say probably the former, which is uh, companies making better products, because that's where you have more of a say. In most companies I've worked at, their developer relations would directly be consulted in, let's say, like, hey, we want API design feedback. We, like, what do you think about our, the docs we just wrote? And then, you know, we're, we're waiting for a product launch. Like, how should we do this? Uh, can you work on a demo that helps us with the launch? That kind of stuff. And then also, I think just being the first user of a product uh, internally gives the product team a lot of feedback which so mm -hmm. I, I think it's super helpful you're not really there to teach other developers how to be better developers you can if you want to i just don't see people doing that as much maybe they should maybe they or, sh or at they least you teach them how to use your tool or your api or whatever yes. that is yeah. yeah 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 and so in some small way yes right but also just the the, the the time that people spend is is very limited more people spend it on you know showcasing their their products rather than saying here's like a, a five-page blog post on on how to write better forms in redux that nobody asked for because i just think <laughs> i just think everyone else is doing it wrong and it's got nothing to do with my company whatsoever, but hey, here it is. A little bit hard, harder to defend. Like, absolutely, I'll give you the space if you if you if you feel like you have the next best thing, go do it because it's good for giving back to the community. But yeah, I mean, it's, I I think it's not our job. Like, it's much more of like that's like it's much much more of a training job. You know, like a if you're a professional instructor or, or something, uh, that's what you'll be doing. And it's not it's not really the developer relations job. I will say there are some developer relations. So uh, in my mind, the Google DevRels they have the latitude because they work at Google literally. They have nothing to prove <laughs> so the you, you so they have a bunch of uh if you've seen adam argyle i, I think you had him on I, i'm not sure yuna leads that team now they all they, they only exist to teach you how to use css but i mean they own chrome so <laughs> right <laughs> like, right they're good <laughs> you touched on something earlier that i've always been curious about which is documentation so at least sure. for me when i'm approaching a new tool or a new thing the documentation is 
critical. And it's to the point where even open source projects, there are so many of them. If I go and check something out and the docs are crap, I just go to something else or I just wander away because I just know there are so many solutions out there. There's no reason to, to waste my time with documentation that's horrible. Documentation for technical products is on some level teaching people how to use the product, but there has to be a cutoff in terms of what goes in the docs. Right? And that cutoff may be specific examples or more long tail examples or whatever. And to me, that sort of seems like where a DevRel might pick up. But what is the cutoff between documentation and the content that a DevRel might produce? And is there an interplay between the two in terms of the DevRel saying this really should be in the documentation or documentation people saying this doesn't make sense in the docs. Let's have our DevRel produce some content for it. So what I will tell people is DevRel content needs to entertain while it informs documentation needs to be complete and technically accurate. So, you know, there's no, there's no implication whatsoever on blogs being complete. They just need to tell you enough to make its point, to, to get you to where it's trying to go. Whereas the, the docs are a source of truth. Like they, they need to be correct. They need to be complete and, and list out everything. So I, I do think that is sort of my, my line of distinction between what, what goes in docs and what goes in DevRel. There is lots of gray area, you know? Uh, so I had, for example, a writer write a blog post on our incremental, incremental sync capabilities that is much better than what we have in the docs today. So we'll have this session where we go, right? Like, can we, can we get some of this into the docs? And, you know, the, the docs, will try, docs team will try to get it done. I will say this is a point of, again, soul searching for me that I've had in the past, because again, I know that whatever blog post I write, there's a decay value on that. The most amount of viewers that it will get will be on it the day that I publish it, and it declines sharply from there on out. Whereas docs will always be evergreen and maintained and, and kept up to date, and people will actually seek it out. So it's very frustrating to me when I see something that how to do X that's not well done in the docs, and I talk I talk to the docs people, and they're like, we have you know we have a huge pipeline. This will we'll maybe get to this next quarter, and I'm like, heck, like if I write a blog post right now, I could solve this problem for some people. So I think that's an impetus for me, by the way, to move from developer relations to developer experience, which is where developer it's basically DevRel getting more clout and going, okay, docs reports to me now. <laughs> Community reports to me now. So it's and DevRel I, and, with a seat at the table is what you're saying. Exactly. And and I have a VP title and and so on and so forth. So yes, it's DevRel with a seat at the table where docs is part of that the end-to-end developer journey. Because ultimately when developers come across your products, they don't care who made the thing that they're looking at. They're just, does this help me or not? And and so someone has at the in the company should be responsible for making sure like the terminology and the the flow from marketing material all the way down to docs all the, all the way down to uh, the community should have some kind of coordination and sympathy uh, with uh, with the developer that's going through all of these. Basically, don't ship your org chart in the developer experience. So there is some kind of two-way communication between documentation and DevRel, at least somewhat. Yeah. In some way, we've uh, a lot of companies, uh, including Netlify, Vercel, and us have moved to formalize that reporting structure. All right, Sean. So we're, we're about done here. I really appreciate everything that you said. I want to know Heart to heart, would you personally recommend myself or Ryan ditching what we do now and becoming a DevRel? Oh, wow. That's, uh, I feel like that's dependent on the lifestyle that you want to live. <laughs> I think DevRel is a different job for sure. And you, you guys both look like you're very happy where you are. So I wouldn't necessarily change for the sake of change. I do think that if you want to align with a company that you really love and share your enthusiasm for, for products uh, with, a, with a broad audience and get paid to do this, then it's a dream job. But if you are happy, I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of dream jobs out there and you have, you have many options. So it's one of many options for you. DevRel is not a legitimate career in the sense that 
the there's almost no the, the the path to like a VP title is only just starting to be ironed out. There's no chief developer officer. It's just not as much of a thing as engineering, marketing, or anything that's a, a lot more established. So I do think that there's a I see people leave the developer profession after a stint in DevRel and go on to greater and better things. And so some of them would be independent instructors because guess what? Like if you've done it for on behalf of one company, you can do it for yourself, a company that you start, or you can do it on behalf of other people. And you can you can be professional trainers. And some people do extremely well based on based on that. And when I say well, I, I mean billions of years well uh, because the professional training in in tech is is a very lucrative field if you if you're good at it. I will also say there are other people who go back to engineering. This is a tricky thing for sure because DevRel or software developer relations you're not viewed as a real developer. And so I've been told, for example that you would have to re-interview and you might get set back in time in your career to where you were before you started your DevRel journey. That's that's definitely happened before. It's even more of a stretch to go into engineering management, for example, because you haven't been an engineer for a while. But all those things are possible, of course, it's just comparatively less likely. I think it's possible for you to go into product management because, again, like I said, that, you know, you're talking to so many users, you have so many opinions and products, and if you want to take it to the next level, you can jump into the product management because you now have the empathy. And I've seen people uh, have that latitude in their own careers. And then finally, I think it's interesting for you for people to think about becoming founders because in most founding setups, there's usually a chief technical officer, like someone who's who's very good at building. The person who's technical and can market is much less rare. And yeah, absolutely. Andrew's pointing at himself. Um, so I think uh, there's there's basically a market for a DevRel founder on, on the order of magnitude of a, des, a design founder or a business or products founder. And I, I do think that, you know, when I was during my most recent job search, I actually entertained a, a few of these opportunities out there. So yeah, I, I will say, you know, because DevRel is not that well mapped out of a career, you might want to end up in some other role and you guys might already be there. So maybe you don't have to go through all this. <laughs> so this is just my personal take on it. I think that the industry as a whole severely undervalues the DevRel role because at least in my opinion, the way, the way I envision DevRel, which may not be reality for some people that are in that sphere, but the way I envision DevRel is an open line of communication to your customers from a technical point of view. And I have seen many, many situations where a DevRel would help make a product so much better than just the development team kind of working off on their own and you know work banging out the next feature and the marketing team uh, deciding on you know what shiny new thing they want to implement. I've seen so many places where someone that kind of integrates both of those paths together can bring an incredible amount of value to a product because they know how the product works they know technically what's going on. They're in touch with the people that are using the product and they can really help shape it. And to your point, if the DevRel isn't getting a seat at the table, I do think that that is somewhat to the detriment of the companies that employ them. Now, not every DevRel, like, you know, some of them could be, just be serving that broader marketing purpose that we're talking about. But someone in a DevRel position that is that kind of open line of communication, I think is a massive benefit to a lot of companies, or at least could be. Yeah, thank you. That's considered uh, better myself. Well, and before Sean can actually disagree with that, that about wraps it up with another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, please make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review. We really appreciate it. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Ryan Ireland. And thank you for coming on, Sean Swix Wang. Thanks for having me.
that from the point of view, Sean, that I've seen so many uh, smaller companies that they start out with a sort of a CTO founder, someone that came up with a really good idea and has the means to implement it. And then they started building a team around that. They become so engineering focused that they don't really understand the value of marketing or the value of getting soliciting input from others. And it makes sense, right? If you're if you're someone that had the impetus to go out to identify a good idea, develop something that takes advantage of that, you think, well, I don't need to talk to anybody else. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna bang this thing out. And I've seen so many cases where open lines of communication would be an incredible asset to the company, at least in my opinion. Yeah, strongly agree. I, I hope we, um, yeah, we have to fix the incentives around that um, because most of the time you're doing it just out of professional standards, but yes. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, a job can be a job too. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it can be a job. Yes. But I, or I really appreciate you uh, coming on. I'm going to stop the recording.